you know, starting to take care of someone that's ill, that's a family member, exposes you to a lot of things, um, and just kind of led us down the path of, you know, a lot of patient advocacy and seeing a lot of things that were missing in the healthcare world, and that realizing, you know, if my mom wasn't able to be with my dad 24-7, certain things wouldn't be taken care of health-wise. We know the questions to ask and we have the ability to be, you know, maybe a little bit blunt or, you know, aggressive, air quotes, in a situation where you kind of have to stand up for yourself. So it's great that we're able to do that, but what about all the people that can't? Hi everyone, uh, my name is David Robinson and welcome to the story of why. A chance to talk to people who have started companies more importantly, have lived their life along the way, learning more about what they want to do uh, and telling that story to others and also sharing their vision about where they want to go and trying to help them get there. We are here on the Story of Why podcast with one of our very important customers and friends, uh, Sarah Cadoret of uh, Plan A. Hi, Sarah. Hey, <laughs> how's it going? Good. Good. Um, like I mentioned, the story of why is uh, very real kind of conversations. We don't have much of an agenda, but we typically start at the beginning to try to get an idea of, of what got you where you are. So tell us a little bit about uh, how it all began. <laughs> it's always the worst question, yeah. you know? It's just like, how far back do you go? I was born on September. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think my career path anyways has been really interesting and a really windy road of lessons and uh, interesting people and, and kind of opening my eyes of what career possibilities were out there. You know, there's certain things when you start in school, even in high school, right? They are, there's kind of the main categories that they steer you towards that are popular. You know, there's police foundations and health and there's accounting and, you know, there's only a, a certain group that they give you. But, uh, the world is full of very interesting jobs, and uh, I think all of the craziest ones are the ones that are on my list to do. <laughs> so it's uh, kind of working through those and uh, getting the experience, and I think people just expect the craziest things from me now. So which one of those traditional ones led you down your first kind of... Yeah, so I think what I decided... Um, from the very beginning, we, our family was always involved in, in business and, and uh, entrepreneurialness. Um <laughs> and it started in, in a restaurant, uh, is where my mother had started. And so growing up as a kid was always there and involved and, uh, you know, did the waitress thing and helped cook and, you know, counted out the cash at the end of the day and balanced the books and kind of got introduced to all of that. And so from a very young age, I was always the, the leader of a team and training the new waitresses or waiters that would come in. And so I've always had pretty much that leadership role in a way that wasn't, um, you know, the helicopter kind of leadership or, um, you know, where, where people will kind of degrade someone or, or just, you know, people think that they're leaders, but mm -hmm. <laughs> what a real leader is is kind of hard to define. And so but started, people would follow, people naturally followed you. Yeah, people would naturally, you know, lead towards me and uh, even, you know, advice-wise, people would always seem to uh, approach me and ask things and, uh, you know, even I'm, I'm the kind of person that I'm in a movie theater and a stranger, you know, sits beside or sets up the area and, oh, can you watch my purse for a couple minutes while I run to the washroom? I guess I just have they that, trust you know, you. trusting, mm -hmm. trusting face Pretty and key energy. part of leadership is that... Yeah. True leadership's probably built on trust. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. It's definitely a, a foundation for sure. And then So the educational system, obviously, in the early age was 
being around a family business, but uh, did you take a more traditional um, Yeah, school? so I, I knew I always wanted to do something entrepreneurial, but I didn't know how to get there necessarily. I did things when I was younger. Um, I started a recycling business in Sudbury, Ontario that um, worked with schools to create uh, recycling programs in cool. schools. So started doing that, and that was kind of my first bit into entrepreneurial. I was pretty young, uh, so got introduced to the world of, uh, you know, the Chamber of Commerce and, and the banking system and, you know, opening up the uh, registered retirement plan is actually mm -hmm. one of the youngest people to open a registered retirement plan, one of the youngest people to join a Chamber of Commerce. So it was all really interesting, you know, and again, that mentorship and meeting really interesting people or, or again, people with stories. And, um, so yeah, so I always so I hear lots about the business part, that. but I don't hear anything about traditional. I, know, yeah. I haven't heard anything traditional yet. We're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that I always knew I wanted to do something like that. But yep. um, as I kind of grew up and went through the schooling system, I took a really keen interest to the trades, mm -hmm. and that was something that really interested me in terms of, again, you could work for somebody or you could start your own type of you know private office or private practice um, and so I started taking welding and that um, you know that was such an interesting path it was something I was really interested in doing wasn't sure you know what type of realm of welding but I knew I loved to do that and so, your dad was a welder correct or no, no? well he worked in the mines right uh, in Sudbury as well and so why so, welding how did welding get your attention yeah it, it um I'm not really sure how necessarily. I guess, you know, I was always around my grandpa and uh, he was a mechanic for okay. the city and so always tinkering and building stuff in his garage and playing with, you know, dangerous toys. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's where it kind And was of your grandfather started. a part of your life when you were younger? Or? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. a huge part. Yeah, okay. we've, uh, we've always been really, really close and we always took uh, summer trips when we, it was just him and I would go away camping and we would pan for gold and cool. we would do, you know, um, mapping out areas and, uh, you know, just adventures and quadding and fishing and yeah, it's interesting. new terrain. <laughs> Grandparents are, I think, an undervalued um, influence in your life. My parents took our kids on Sunday and... And I know that the kids will be different and better uh, for that exposure to another level of parenthood. Yeah. But um, So welding was the pursuit, and you yeah. became probably an expert welder like everything else you do. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I was very fortunate, had some great teachers, and, and I guess kind of started in the traditional method of a college, but right. you know moved a little bit away from that to an actual specific trade school that was more about working in the field and that hands-on practice. So you would actually you learn for two weeks a certain uh, angle or certain equipment and things like that. And you would learn it for two weeks and then after two weeks you could actually test for it. So I really loved it because it wasn't as limiting as you need to do this for two years and then you write a final exam and it is what it is. You have to take electives and you know you have to take your your, your uh, required courses and the courses that didn't really matter and all of this type mm -hmm. of thing to get a degree or diploma. And so I changed to that so that it was really focused on the welding aspect. You know, we did a lot of things as well in terms of mathematics and blueprint reading and blueprint drawing and, and but really more about what you actually needed in the field mm -hmm. because in trades you go into an apprenticeship and a lot of employers have their own on the, on the job training 
So it was really nice that way that mm -hmm. I didn't feel held back. And that's a lot of what I felt in school was mm -hmm. that held back. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the rate that we're teaching at. This is the rate that mm -hmm. it goes. So I, I guess I became bitter almost mm -hmm. in, in the school system that I want to learn more. I, you know, I'm engaged. I want to, I want to know more. I want to move faster and let's get I this think, done. Right. You know, <laughs> I did something similar too. I went to sort of finance for traditional things and learned some stuff, but it was really on the job with my parents learning about what finance really was, which yeah. is people, but with some analysis mixed in. But when I kind of got to a place in my life where I wanted to pursue something that was closer to my passion, I looked at St. Lawrence College and I took the construction management program mm -hmm. there. I was I was in a finance role, but they, they completely tailored the learning towards what I truly needed. And I think colleges um, moving forward are going to be the institutions of the future mm -hmm. that uh, we need a lot more hands-on training. And um, yeah, colleges, in my opinion, are, are undervalued from yeah. that perspective. Yeah. And I think there's always that stigma, like anything, of just the generation gaps for sure, but it was always, if you want a real career, you have to go to university, you know, it was always built up anyways for me about going to, see to that university, right? And so... did and But you didn't go that route at all. No, I didn't Good. go that route at and all. And I yeah. did, and I think it was a waste of time and money, and I think a lot of societies yeah. now really realize, certainly with the advent of the internet. Yeah. And I've considered a few times, there's definitely some really interesting programs that I would take, but um, I've been really fortunate to network and meet really great people that believed in me and saw in me what you know what I saw in myself that it wasn't just mm -hmm. <laughs> me talking about myself mm -hmm. um, and from there every opportunity has just really been meeting the right people mm -hmm. and you know engaging the right people believing in, in what I do and you know finding the skills in another way and and I always call myself an autodidact is the word I always like to use but it's just again that self-taught person that if there's a skill I don't know enough about or something I want to learn then you know I'll dive in deeper about that and I'll buy the how-to dummies book and and whatever trip tips and tricks I need to do find an expert in the field start on the internet is a great resource now right so so a thirst for learning definitely and using people not using but learning through people and and uh, a combination of different tools I think that's probably gonna be the education of the future really. yeah um, okay you have to so be the right type of person for sure yeah, some people need but I that think structural. that type of person is becoming very desirable mm -hmm. dynamic um, flexible interesting charismatic uh, fearless a little bit yeah. <laughs> um, okay so the welding career did it ever become something you actually pursued it was for a little bit of mm -hmm. time. Um, the ultimate goal was to do underwater welding. Oh. Um, I've always loved the idea of, as well of a, a career that's that adrenaline thrill, blood pumping, you know, mm -hmm. that you're on call and you're called into emergencies and um, which probably isn't normal for most people. But you like um, excitement. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, just, you know, running into the fire and mm -hmm. taking challenges head mm -hmm. on and, and all that good stuff. Okay. So fearless is a, probably a very good word to describe <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah, for so sure. didn't, so didn't pursue that very much, but then so probably... So I did for a while, um, for, for a little while. My goal was to work, you know, on a larger organization, so CP or CN, or work on more of, like, the cargo ships where there was a lot of work that way, uh, you know, internationally or on, on international waters. But it's really difficult, um, 
area to break into. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that you still need to know somebody to get in there. And, and being a female probably doesn't make that very easily either, does it? No, it, it makes it a little bit more interesting. So you couldn't, get, you couldn't get the job that you wanted in that career, which I had that happen too, but you yeah, couldn't. Yeah, I found it was really hard because we've moved to apply online. Apply online, apply online, apply online. Right. Who gets that? You know, right. does anybody get it? Can I check in? Can I talk to someone? If I could get in front of someone, I could easily show them, you know, why I'm right. passionate or why I'm dedicated and, and why I feel I should be there. You know, again, what we can mutually benefit uh, each of us, but never got to that point necessarily. Probably and a as good thing. it was as it was kind of getting to that point is where my father ended up getting sick. So it was kind of deciding between personal life goals and, you know, what, what do I want to do for the rest of my life and career-wise versus family values and, and family goals. And so decided to stay local. and Life throws changed, those curveballs, yeah, too. Yeah, change the path, which I'm pretty thankful for, I guess. So now. then when the next stage took place, and that's pretty cool that uh, we have enough in our heart to delay a personal objective to take care of family. That's what's needed. Yeah. Tell me about what happened after those tough times. Yeah, so that went on for quite a while, you know, and uh, took the role of really supporting our family household, which, you know. And how, old never... you, how old are you at this point? Um, this would have been grade 12 of, of high school, so. But I've always worked since I was young, you know. And was there, did you guys have the restaurant at that point, too? Uh, we didn't at that point. No. It, it was it was closed, um, and uh, we were doing different things. Mom had kind of retired a little bit, taking some time, and then, of course, with her spouse being ill, was able to be a caregiver, which was a, a good thing. You know, we were in the right place to at least be able to do that. And I think that also feeds into where you are today, which we're not going to rush to get to, but an understanding of how tough it is to care for someone that's not well, which yeah. feeds into what we'll get to. But um, And also, um, I have a sense that you're a lot more mature than your age indicates, which I suspect these experiences um, of having to grow up pretty quickly is mm -hmm. a big part of Sarah. Absolutely. Yeah. I've always, uh, you know, always heard wise beyond your years right. or you know, all these types of things. That's typically because uh, you're exposed to something too soon, te yeah, technically, yeah, but, yeah. um, and I think people either react to that and it destroys them or it, uh, makes them into the person they are today, which I yeah. suspect is a, I, I mean, I've watched you work and do your thing. Uh, there's a lot of strength in you that, uh, I think is, uh, what's made you successful. So, how is that what fed in because i think it is what fed into your most recent um sort of business is um plan a which is mm. a um, why don't you why don't you keep the story going and they, I, yeah how did you identify plan a as an opportunity so you know starting to take care of someone that's ill that's a family member exposes you to a lot of things that you didn't really realized before or even knew to ask questions about right it's one of those things that until it affects you you have no reason to know anything about that, which is strange in itself. Um, and just kind of led us down the path of, you know, a lot of patient advocacy and seeing a lot of things that were missing in the healthcare world and that realizing, you know, if my mom wasn't able to be with my dad 24 seven, certain things wouldn't be taken care of health-wise or, you know, he didn't have the power to sign or agree to treatments or sign documents, but this wasn't necessarily being recognized by 
the nurses or, you know, they weren't having the time to read his documentation properly. So it's really challenging. And that's kind of where it started with um, advocacy, basically. So started patient advocacy and, uh, you know, hospital advocacy, hospice advocacy. Was this after your father passed? You guys came... Uh, it was a little during, bit during, during? Um, kind of started it because... How, so you kind of said that we need to talk about this, or you and your mom? Because your yeah. mom is obviously a key part of the story we will come in. Yeah, yeah. So I think it was both of us together and really just saying, you know, it's not right and and uh, you know we know the questions to ask and we have the ability to be you know maybe a little bit blunt or you know aggressive air quotes in a situation where you kind of have to stand up for yourself so it's great that we're able to do that but what about all the people that can't or they don't know the questions to ask or if you know the 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 couple is both elderly you know, they don't know how to ask these things or if it's the husband that's ill and the wife's in the hospital and who's taking care of the home and traveling back and forth every day to the hospital. And you just kind of consider all of those things. So it felt important to you to, to be a part of that. So. Yeah, yeah, it really did because, again, being that voice for the voiceless, mm -hmm. basically. And um, that's been a lot of, of what I've done even throughout my own journey of, you know, we're talking about wise behind your years is usually because you're, you know, experience trauma or, you know, some type of things before you're ready to or, or you know, as you age. But uh, so I've always used that as a platform to really talk about it. And um, I've always thought, you know, mental wellness was always the first goal to anything and being really healthy that way and um, being able to deal with kind of any roadblocks that come at you and talking through problems. And so I've always used that platform as well to talk with women and youth and being a woman in industry and even a woman in, in career force now as a, a president of a company to discuss some of the things that are out there. So I've always had that that voice, which has been great, so I think you it's know just it's a natural jump. <laughs> it's you know the whole this whole podcast is to to get to that place where we just got to, which is why are we doing this? And it's typically something that's meaningful to us and has a purpose. So mm -hmm. I think we've hit the place that we understand uh, what matters to you is helping, and and you saw an opportunity, and and so then. Plan A, talk about what you're working on right now. and Yeah, so through the advocacy side of it, um, it just kind of made the right connections and talking about a lot of things that were going on in healthcare and got introduced to things like death doulas and hospitals and or hospices and home care and all these different structures that are out there and seeing all different sides of it. And from that um, was introduced to um, a, a medical clinic that was just... Starting, it was a southern brand that was looking to come to northern Ontario, and um, their thing was all about alternative health care and different ways other than traditional medicine and traditional types of, you know, surgeries or, or processes and, and other ways people could improve their health. And so with that, it actually included medical cannabis. And so that was something that I was heavily involved with for about two and a half, three years. And it only opened up the world of, of healthcare and connections and 
all these different things and, and a platform again to talk about it and do the educational piece and um, really you know work with our community to educate them about options or you know the seniors and really bringing that total health and wellness so talking about alternative treatments talking about the the traditional mainstream which is still a great option um, talking about will creation and Alzheimer's society and death doulas and all these really different things that people don't know about. You know, you're just such, you're stuck in such an overwhelming time in your life that you're very focused on that, but there's a lot of other things to think about and there's a lot of other resources out there. So that kind of led down everything there and, you know, met great connections and again, opened up that new world. And uh, through all of that was able to, you know, meet and speak with the the uh, CEO of Plan A that was created in in Sudbury, Ontario. Was able to see what she so was doing. So Plan A was created in Sudbury. It was created in Sudbury Very ten cool. years ago. And that's your yeah. home. We forgot to mention that's, that's yeah, where you were born. That's my hometown. Yeah, okay. yeah. So uh, so got to see what she was doing, and it's all based in long term care and for seniors again, and um, you know, focusing on staffing and and uh, you know really making sure the residents are well taken care of and the support is there and that these nurses and PSWs have the appropriate time to take care of each of the residents and that it's not just numbers on papers and dollar signs and, and all that kind of stuff so really so what is plan a if you had to, as a founder which is always tough to do because I have a tough time doing it yeah. <laughs> what is plan a so uh, Plan A is something that really brings together really great people, whether it's our office or mainly our field staff, which includes dietary aides, support service aides, personal support workers, registered practical nurses, registered nurses. So our field staff re really bringing great people, great healthcare professionals that are already out there, um, finding them and, and bringing them onto the A team, is what we like to call it, and then uh, marrying that with really great, um, you know, strategies and technologies, solution-based, very, um, you know, goal-oriented, very much a um, for-purpose company. Mm -hmm. And um, marrying those types of things, the strategies, solutions, technology, with the really great people specifically for long-term care. Right. So, you know, answering that call for help from long-term care in regards to all of the staffing uh, issues that have been going on, I mean, predominantly during the COVID-19 pandemic for sure, but uh, even further back than that and even further beyond the pandemic. Yeah, and that's been interesting to watch how um, you've been dynamic through this process, but it was an issue beforehand. Staffing is an issue for every company, mm -hmm. I think, um, but for long-term care homes where the quality of their service is highly connected to the people mm -hmm. um you are helping long-term care homes hire better and also hire more flexibly where you can move labor force around but talk about how your business is adapted or changed through covid yeah so i think you know one of our things was definitely our recruitment process and that hiring process and we spend a lot of time through that to make sure the candidates that are applying to us are vetted throughout the process and making sure that they're appropriate for the type of work that it is in terms of the flexibility of the schedule, they're appropriate for long-term care, uh, you know, setting, and also that, you know, they're, they're the best people that are out there. And so through that, we love to do in-person in each stage, and you really get to meet people and get to know them, and you're meeting them, you know, three times before they're actually onboarded, and you're getting a really good sense of, of someone. And being in the room with someone really, really does, you know, show you 
who they are. Mm-hmm. You, you pick up subtle things, right? Um, and so unfortunately through that, and uh, you know, I guess unfortunately and fortunately, we were able to move to a remote kind of hiring process. So doing the, the interviews and the trainings through Zoom and Skype and all of those remote kind of softwares for, uh, you know, remote work and, and remote uh, hiring. So great that we could continue that and be able to continue with, you know, responding to the call for help uh, with staff, but it has made it a little bit more difficult in yeah. terms of vetting vetting someone. Vetting's you know. difficult, and also the positions are not remote. Uh, yeah. Being a care worker has zero probability to be remote. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, I suspect uh, that's been a challenge. Yeah. Uh, but I've seen you ad- be adapting through this whole thing. So what kind of uh, other adaptations are you working on, or what have you what have you done during COVID to? Uh, yeah, so I think it's still really trying to, you know, build the vision, build the brand, make sure that, you know, people still understand who we are and what we're trying to do. And, you know, maybe the, the general population won't know what plan A is. And, Which we're going to help with. This yeah, part yeah. Of the, part of the uh, goal is to get this Yeah, out. and, you know, at first when you're starting a company, you're like, I want everybody to know about us. You know, I want to walk in somewhere and, oh, aren't you from plan A, right? Like, that's kind of a, a dream. But it's not the reality or not something that we're chasing necessarily, that we're very targeted to long-term care and getting front of the directors of care and the administrators at these types of facilities. We're trying to get in front of the healthcare professionals. So very targeted that way that someone that's a mechanic maybe doesn't necessarily benefit from knowing who plan A is. Right. But it's something to grow to because that mechanic might have a wife that's a nurse right. or, you know, a friend or right. a, a daughter that's in school. With, so right. it's it's building on, but it, it's always that starting point and then being able to grow and expand. So just trying to get that messaging out there and that Plan A is still aggressively dedicated to, you know, hiring the best healthcare professionals, still doing all of our uh, recruitment process and all the steps that are extremely important in making sure that the right people are taking care of, you know, our families mm-hmm. and, um, and, and still, you know, making sure that our staff is well taken care of. So it, it's always been something that's been an issue with once they're onboarded and hired, they're working in these facilities, but they're not working in our office. So a traditional workplace, you know, you're always coming into the office and you see your manager or your boss, but we're not that way. They're going to the facility to work. And so they're not in our office regularly. So just working on ways to, you know, keep in touch with them and continue to build the culture of what we want our office to be and the way that we want our staff to be and just Mm -hmm. that open honest communication and accountability and still you know working really hard and doing the best you can and filling the shifts and taking Mm -hmm. care of the residents and so it sounds like lofty goals but um you know i think it's something that should just be come come as a natural thing in in the world that we work in, mm-hmm. I think a lot of companies are struggling with that. And one of the things we're trying to do is help companies bring people together to connect. Um, and they did that traditionally through an office, but I don't know if it's necessarily required. But finding some human mm-hmm. way of connecting your team through play and and connecting, well, I don't think will ever go away. Yeah. Uh, and then having he- real human interaction is key too. So. Um, it was interesting to see the one Sunday that we were running into each other because we're both business owners often mm-hmm. working um, all the time yeah. <laughs> uh, or a lot of the time. Um, and uh, I said, what are you working on? And you're like, well, we're working on a daycare. And, and I'd seen a lot of the issues in uh, many sort of aspects of people's life. But daycare is one that I think has been uh, 
an example of a aspect of our life that is not uh, being supported mm -hmm. and that, you know, the numbers around daycare are um, pretty bad that, you know, it's, it's completely paid for by the individual for the most part and um, that care has be become a real issue. And you've seen this specifically on your staffing situation that you go to place someone and right now during COVID with care being even more challenged, they can't go to work unless they have care figured out. So you guys yeah. have been adapting and providing some in-home care systems, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, and so they're very much separate companies, mm -hmm. you know, to be, you know, targeted to anyone that would need daycare help. But it all, you know, is something that's been in our, our playbook, our to-do list. <laughs> to-do list, you know, every time I see something interesting, it goes on the, mm -hmm. the project list, right? And so it's something we've talked about quite a while. Um, and it was always geared around, again, that bricks and mortar, very much the daycare center system that is out there. Um, and, of course, pandemic and, you know, you've, your focus shifts and, uh, you know, have to focus on, you know, the healthcare professional side of it and mm -hmm. choose what project is priority at that moment. But, um, healthcare workers have always had issues, you know, getting daycare and, and childcare providers. And it's, it's something, you know, when they're working weekends or holidays or overnight shifts, those aren't hours that general other people would want to work or that daycares aren't even open those hours. Um, and through the pandemic, it's been even worse that daycare was closed, schools mm -hmm. are closed, uh, mm -hmm. if there are other spouses working or if they're a single parent. Um, you know, the grandparents shouldn't have to always take care of children either, or, you mm -hmm. know, uh, if they're trying to protect their grandparents because mm -hmm. of COVID. Mm -hmm. Just so many, so many issues. And once daycares open up again, then a little bit better. But now, again, if you qualify for a spot or they have limited capacity because they can only have so many children or uh, staggered start times and end times that don't work with nursing shifts. Mm -hmm. The shift is 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., but your daycare drop-off is at 8.15. Mm -hmm. That doesn't work. How does that work? Um, so really created a model to mirror what we do in terms of flexibility to match not only our staff to benefit, uh, but all the people that live crazy flexible work schedules that are now working either remotely or sometime in the office and sometimes at home, um, really, really whatever it is. And instead mm -hmm. of me saying the hours of childcare, it's the parent saying, this is what I need to match mm -hmm. my schedule and us hiring appropriately uh, or childcare providers that can fit that need. So again, really fitting with the family needs instead of me saying our service hour is nine to five. Mm -hmm. What do you need? How many days a week? You, you know, what, what type of care do you need and will match the right type of person. Kind of cool to see how you recognized another problem, but that your background and skill sets with Plan A apply to that same sort of uh, yeah. need. It's cool when you see businesses that can expand comfortably into another line, but you're applying your base skill sets of identifying mm. really good people. And, and daycares, again, it's similar business that the daycare is highly dependent on the quality of the caregiver. Mm -hmm. And if your skill set is to identify great caregivers, then it's a natural fit. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because what happened here at Fractal with you and I is that I saw the same thing, but from a different angle and not really having a ton of skill to solve that, knowing there's a problem with daycare for remote workers, um, but not really knowing anything about the business. And it was cool that Sunday 
was the mm-hmm. beginning of going, hey, I'm working on that too. And then we brought in another fellow, and it's kind of the cool power of bringing together a diverse team of people that care deeply about something, but then bring their specific skill sets. So. Yeah, yeah, and I love that collaboration mm-hmm. that, again, the different skill set and the areas that you're really passionate about and mm-hmm. not, you know, not stepping on each other's toes, but really, you know, dividing the pie mm-hmm. and being able to work on that and then meet again and mm-hmm. really build something. And it only accelerates, mm-hmm. right, the, the project and the, the knowledge mm-hmm. and the access that you have to it because we all have our own networks and mm-hmm. we can all tap into different things, which yeah, is great. And I think that's why we're together in this space is that I built something that I really didn't know much about. I just kind of thought the office space was due for something better. But to see when I opened the doors the magic that happened when you start really talking to people what they're working on and um, I think that's why you're here is that um, you like that community-based approach to business where we mm-hmm. work, you know, and if you look at the chamber and those groups, that's what they're designed to do. Um, I think the unique part is we hang out together every day and sometimes we'll walk, walk by each other and go, hey, there's that yeah. colli- collision that takes place that I think speeds it up here um, that doesn't happen with most businesses. They don't live in the same house together. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's probably some argument that on some level we should have companies interacting on a real level more often because those synergies um, are really fun to be a part of and in terms of a strategy in my opinion it makes them a lot faster and better mm-hmm. so I mean that's me plugging myself in terms yeah. of saying that you know we met no, but but we, I wouldn't true. have met you I it's honestly true. if yeah. I didn't open fractal you and I would have not have met and would not yeah. be working on daycare and all kinds of fun stuff yeah. so yeah. Um, I think we generally both need to uh, find a way to interact a little bit more as business yeah, owners, right? Definitely. So, yeah. And hopefully and somebody worked, hears this. We've worked in, in other co-working spaces, you know, and I, I wouldn't say it's anything like Fractal. Like Fractal is very unique and that's why we stuck around as long as we have. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, again, that flexibility or as our business grows and things that we add on that we can grow, continue to grow in this space that mm-hmm. is very much our home, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and people know where to find us. And again, it creates that consistency for our brand as well, mm-hmm. that there's a little legitimate office space and a legitimate mm-hmm. mailing address and all of that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and people come in and they're in a great space and they're greeted by you know Lauren and it just all of that is very much what I value as well about what I want my office to look like mm-hmm. so it's a great you know meet in the middle type mm-hmm. of thing mm-hmm. yeah I think it's been equivalent on my end is that there were some practical elements to this place but I think it's the magic um that only people here understand, you know, it's hard to communicate why you're here, but we're trying to really beef that part up to make it, uh, more magic that, you know, hopefully people, I think the exciting part of the, why we want to do this podcast is that more people should understand that this is deeply important to you. And, um, that if they come here, they're going to find out what plan A is that, you know, the person behind the voice is, is a really important part of the brand. And so, um, and I, you know, I want to tell you that you've supported me through COVID when you didn't have to. Um, and so, um, I want to thank you for that. <laughs> and, um, also that it's a testament that, you know, family back to family when you're tied in family can be, I think, not just blood. No, uh, there's something not. that connects us yeah. deeply. And I think that's what we need more of is, is to build those kind of deeper connections that are built on something more than just transactions. So yeah. anyway, I want to thank you for supporting us and Absolutely. it's exciting. And I know that you're going to take this pl- uh, business in many different directions and, and we're here to support you. And uh, it's going to be exciting that Kingston uh, has such a cool entrepreneur in Sarah and plan mm-hmm. A and uh, come see 
Sarah at Plan A if you're in the healthcare business or you're a long-term care co company because I think they can help. Absolutely. I appreciate that so well, much. <laughs> thanks for your time today.